faith, family, fitness, and food. That is what you'll find in my book called Life. This was the opening line of a uh, motivational talk I was able to give a couple years ago in Colorado at a uh, fitness camp. This past week, I turned 41 years old, and I have been reminded that indeed, for the most part, my life consists, uh, let me take that back, it does consist of faith, family, fitness, and food. Now, food sometimes will get in front of fitness, but I try to keep that last, but sometimes that doesn't always work. Back in March, I held a meeting in uh, Stephenville, Texas, and there were a couple of members here who showed up for the meeting. And uh, I ate pretty good there at that meeting. When I say good, I'm not talking about salads. I'm not talking about vegetables. I'm talking about I ate good, like cakes and anything else you could imagine. And one of the one of the members here was there for one of the sermons, and they texted me after the sermon and said, "You know, your your suit's looking a little tight there, bro." And you know, I, I said, "Yeah, it is looking a little tight there. It was a little tight there. It's a little bit looser now, so I feel a little bit more better about myself." I like to talk a lot about food. I've already done some other lessons that kind of pertain to food in some shape or form. And yet it is interesting when you open up your Bible in the New Testament that there actually is quite a bit of information there about food. Now, I want you to look at Acts chapter 2. We've been going through our Bible reading in Acts chapter 2, or in the book of Acts rather. And I want to begin in Acts chapter 2. What we find when the church began on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we get details about the saints and how they interacted with one another, their relationship with one another, how they spent time with one another, and in particular, in verse number 46, the Bible says, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Talking about these regular meals that they would have with one another from house to house. They spent a lot of time, and food was often involved with the time that they spent together. I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, remember before Peter went to the house of Cornelius, the Lord uh, was give, gave him a vision in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, the Bible says in verse number 9, on the next day as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became, here it is, he became hungry. And was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And so certainly this vision would become really important with, for him as he prepared to make his way to the house of a Gentile, the house of Cornelius. What else is interesting, though, is even when you think about this story, the very last verse of Acts chapter 10, look at verse number 48. After Peter and the other Jewish brethren went to the house of Cornelius, taught the gospel, these individuals were saved. And verse 48, the Bible says, and he ordered them to be baptized, talking about Peter, with respect to Cornelius and his household, in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. And I love that last phrase because no doubt about it, they probably would have been eating some meals together. And I'm sure that would have been a very interesting situation in that house. There's another example in Acts chapter 16. Look over in Acts chapter 16 and verse 15. This is where uh, Paul and Silas had met Lydia, who was a seller of purple. And what we find here in Acts chapter 16, Lydia was baptized. And then in verse number 15, 
The Bible says, And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And more than likely, they were probably sharing some meals together there. There's no doubt about it in Acts chapter 16 and verse number 34 that Paul and Silas shared some meals in someone else's house, the Philippian jailer. Look at Acts chapter 16 and verse number 34. This was right after the Philippian jailer was baptized. Watch what it says here in verse number 34. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly having believed in God with his whole household. And so we find that food all throughout the New Testament, this was something that was common among the saints. In fact, look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want you to notice in verse number 11, as Paul had to talk about discipline, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse number 11, he says something really powerful here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 11, there was a brother who was, uh, who was in sin, and the congregation had not done anything about Uh, disciplining this brother. In verse 11, he says, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. If he is a, is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. And so all of these examples just help us to see that indeed food was a big component in the lives of the disciples. Now, where am I going with all of this? Well, I'm going in a certain direction. We understand the significance of food. We understand the significance of meals together. But this morning, I want to talk about another meal, another meal that the saints had with one another, a very special meal. And it certainly was special for them, and it certainly is special for you and for me. I'm referring to the Lord's Supper. I want to talk a little bit about the Lord's Supper. Now, we just got done partaking the Lord's Supper. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit more about this special meal. The Bible says quite a bit about this special meal, and indeed it should be special in our eyes. Sometimes there can be even some confusion with respect to the Lord's Supper and and some understanding of why we do what we're doing. And so this morning I want to just walk us through some passages in the Word of God that help us to see the significance of of this meal that we just partook. Why should always be important for us and the mindset that we should have. I want to begin by first looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you will, please. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is going to take us to our first thought. I have seven thoughts I want to share with you that help us to see why this meal indeed is special and should always be significant for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, what we find here is that this meal, indeed, it was designed by Christ. And I want you just first to notice the language in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 20. When we talk about the Lord's Supper, we find this language here. As Paul was writing to the saints in Corinth, and he's going to have to address some issues with what they were doing with respect to the Lord's Supper, he said, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So first, I want you to notice that this is the language that we find in the scriptures as we talk about the Lord's Supper and use that kind of language that is found in the Word of God. Now, when you go back to the Gospels, we also help, it also we also find and see that indeed this meal was designed by Christ, that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Let's read Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, prior to his death, Jesus was with his apostles. And what we find here, beginning in verse number 26, we find Jesus as he instituted the Lord's Supper. Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 26, please. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, 
Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So from this passage, we see that it was Christ who uh, who instituted this special meal, the Lord's Supper. And the fact that our Savior established this meal is reason for us to always take it seriously. It's reason for us to appreciate what we do here as we come together as the people of God. It's not just any meal. It's a special meal. It's the Lord's Supper that was given to us by our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we think about this idea that it was designed by Christ, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we also need to be aware of something else, that this special meal is its all about Christ. It's all about Christ. The emphasis needs to be upon him. If you go back and read those verses again, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, notice what he said here, This is my body. The emphasis was upon him and what he would do. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. The emphasis has been or is upon him. It's all about Christ. And so as we think about the Lord's Supper, it is to be, there's to be a distinction between other meals. This is not just some other meal. This is something that is very special. It is something from our Savior, Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, turn over there, please. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I want you to notice what Paul said here as Paul had to correct some things with the saints in Corinth. Paul is going to remind them of a couple of things with respect to the Lord's Supper. In verse number 23, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Notice what he says next. Do this in remembrance of who? You do this in remembrance of me because it's about Christ. And the same way he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so what we find in the word of God, the emphasis is upon Christ. This is what makes this meal so special, that it is all about Christ. And it's what Christ has done. Those who partake certainly believe that he died for the sin of the world. And we also believe that he will return one day. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Indiana for uh, I only did one sermon. It was a summer series in New Albany, Indiana. I arrived there Tuesday. The president of the United States arrived there, arrived there on Wednesday in that area in Indiana. And there was a big dinner for some of the candidates in that area. And I think the plate maybe cost five or $6,000, maybe ten. I can't remember exactly how much. But there are lots of dinners that happen like that, right? Where whatever the, whoever the candidate or president may be at the time, there's big dinners that are kind of designed to help someone, whether it's raising funds or something like that. The emphasis is upon a particular person or maybe even a party sometimes. What about at a wedding? Oh, there's a big dinner or something like that after a wedding. Why? Because there's a celebration thinking about that couple who just got married. And we understand certain situations like that. Yet there needs to be a clear distinction that as we think about the Lord's Supper, it is special. It is a special meal because it's all about Christ. 
That's what we find as we study this, uh, this topic. What we also find is that when we think about this meal, indeed, it's designed by Christ. It's all about Christ, and it's to be done often. It is a little bit unique when you start thinking about other meals that we often partake in, right, or, or have. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, Nikki, I went out, Nikki and I with uh, Bud and Shelly, we went to Hutchins Barbecue. Is that the right name? Hutchins Barbecue? Oh. That's dangerous right there. Hutchins Barbecue, the brisket, you know what I'm talking about, right? I got two of those sandwiches. That was bad. But I got two of those sandwiches, and I, I had no idea there was a place like this called Hutchins. Man, I need to go there more often. It was good, but you can only eat there, like, so much, though, right? Like, you get there, and you can have the brisket. Some of you guys may be thinking, no, I could eat there every day. What are you talking about? You can only eat that, at least for me, so often. It was great, but I'm not going to go there every day or every week, and most likely not every month as well. And as much as I love a great Thanksgiving meal, or four of them, depending on how many leftovers we have, you, you can't eat that every day. You can't have that every day. You don't have that every day. We don't do that. It's, 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 it's a yearly type thing. And yet what's interesting, when you think about the Lord's Supper, it is designed to be eaten often. And what we find in the Word of God, and we talked about this last week in Acts chapter 20, remember in Acts chapter 20, we are given, given the time factor, the frequency by which we partake of the Lord's Supper. We are to partake of this meal each first day of the week. And it is indeed something that is to be often. It's something that we are going to do on a weekly basis. In fact, uh, I went too fast. I'll go back. Let me go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 here and just read those verses again. He said in verse number 25, in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And this is something that we do uh, partake in often. And Acts chapter 20 gives us the time factor. We find the apostle Paul was with some other disciples in Acts chapter 20. Paul was making his way to Jerusalem. You get down to verse number 16. And yet what we find is that he remained in Troas there for seven days to gather with the saints. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. What we find here, the saints under the oversight of an apostle came together, and they gathered to partake of the Lord's Supper. This phrase, to break bread, used here, is used to refer to the Lord's Supper. They came together to break bread. That was a reason. That's what they did. They broke bread. They partook of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. You find that language similar as well, or you find that similar language in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 16 as Paul spoke about the Lord's Supper there. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16, he said, It's not the cup of blessing which we bless as sharing in the blood of Christ. It's not the bread which we break as sharing in the body of Christ. And so we know that this breaking of bread here uh, in these contexts was referring to the Lord's Supper. This memorial meal, was and continues to be eaten by the saints on a weekly basis. It is to be done each first day of the week. And maybe a way to kind of think about this, think about the Israelites for a moment. I can't remember if I said this last week, but the Israelites were told to remember the Sabbath. You guys remember that, right? They were told to remember the Sabbath in Exodus chapter 20. How often would they have to observe the Sabbath? 
well, every, every seventh day they would have to observe the Sabbath. They were told to uh, remember or to observe the Sabbath. And so I think if we can understand that, then I think we can also understand how often we partake of the Lord's Supper. The saints gather together on the first day of the week to partake of the Lord's Supper. There's a first day of the week each week. And so each week we gather together as well to partake of this special meal. And so there's a distinction when you think about this meal and consider other meals that we enjoy and take. This is something that we do each first day of the week. And so this is something really important because Acts chapter 20 gives us a frequency and day to eat. And it's to be taken on the first day of the week. Now, let me tell you why I'm emphasizing this because a lot of people today say, well, we can just take it on Saturday. And, well, that's not what we find in the Word of God. That's not the pattern that we find. And we don't have that authority. Sometimes people say, well, why not just take it every day? If it's something so good and so special that's going to help us to remember the sacrifice of Christ, let's take it every day. Well, we find the authority of taking it each first day of the week. And we don't partake of the Lord's Supper at a special event like a wedding or something like that. We see the saints, they gather together to worship God. On the first day of the week, and that's what they did. They partook of the Lord's Supper, and so we follow that same pattern as well. And so, indeed, the Lord's Supper, some people may look at this and may say, well, some of this is kind of strange to some degree. It's not like any other meal. It's a special meal. It's designed by Christ. It's all about Christ, and it's to be done often. And yet, there's something else that we need to think about. It's a meal that can condemn. You go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Uh, We find some powerful language here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul had to address some issues that the saints had in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 due to their abuse of the Lord's Supper. There were those who were not waiting for others to arrive and to partake together. He would emphasize that in verse number 33. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. They were to eat this meal, and we are too in the proper manner. And he would give them some instructions in verse number 27. He said, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And so what we find here is something very important. It is a special meal, and it's to be taken in the proper way, that we are to examine ourselves. And as Paul said, we are to discern the Lord's body. Those who ate in an unworthy manner would be guilty of the body and of the blood. They could partake, and so can we in a way, if not careful, that is displeasing to God. And so it's a special meal. It's something that our minds should be in, involved in, and our minds should be focused on the right things. That idea of discern, according to Strong's and Thayer, is the idea to separate thoroughly, to make a distinction. Their minds, and along with our minds as well, should, as we partake, should be on the sacrifice of our Savior and what he has done for us. And so the manner in which this meal is prescribed, it really is like no other meal. It's a special meal. As we think about all the different distinctions that are made concerning this meal. But that's not all. There's something else for us to think about as we consider the Lord's Supper. There's actually an unseen guest that is present. I think we could use that kind of language. I want to go back to Matthew chapter 26. Remember back in Matthew chapter 26, listen to the words of Jesus again right before he died to his, uh, as he spoke to his disciples in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 26. While they were eating, 
Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus said, I will not drink this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now we know that Jesus had just partaken in this meal with the apostles physically. He was there, but that obviously would change. In the kingdom, as the apostles and others took the Lord's Supper, Christ would still be with them. Now he wasn't literally eating and drinking with them, but through his death they they had fellowship with him. Now I want you to think about this. We are in the kingdom. The kingdom exists. And as we partake of this meal, I think it's appropriate for us to say that Jesus is the unseen guest among us. We have communion or fellowship with him. And as you think about just some of the, the language that Jesus used here and some of these details that we find, it really does demonstrate how special and unique this meal really is. It's not one that we just kind of run through kind of quickly. It's one that we should really be concerned about and really understand the significance behind it. As you think about the Lord's Supper, and I made some comparisons earlier about uh, other meals that we have and things like that, the Lord's Supper is interesting. I'm not complaining here about the design of the Lord's Supper. But when you think about the Lord's Supper, there's really not a lot of variety to it. Have you thought about that? There's not a lot of variety to, there is no variety with what we are to do. Let me change my language there. I'm a creature of habit, and so typically I like to eat the same thing for breakfast. And maybe some of you guys like to do that as well. You have the same thing almost every day, or maybe you do something like that for dinner. And I'm sure we all have certain eating habits and things like that, but every once in a while, what do we like to do? Well, we like to change up what we eat. We like to mix it up a little bit. And certainly that's okay when it comes to Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner or something like that. But we don't do this when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Think about this for a moment. What elements are we instructed to take each first day of the week? There's no variation when it comes to what we are to consume. Am I right about that? That each first day of the week we find in Matthew chapter 26, as Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, that he took some bread, unleavened bread, and after a blessing he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine. So what we find here, when you think about the elements, each first day of the week, we don't change the elements. Each first day of the week, as we just did, we took of the unleavened bread, and we took of the fruit of the vine. And this is what we're to do each first day of the week. Now, there's nothing wrong with this setup. I'm not complaining or anything like that. I just want you to see that there's no variation when it comes to how we partake of this meal. Jesus had finished the Passover with the the apostles at this time. And we know that the Passover is no longer in effect for us to be observed. But during the Passover, unleavened bread was used. You look back in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse number 3. And it symbolized the haste with which the Israelites left Egypt. Christ, however, is our Passover. 
Look at 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. And he has redefined that unleavened bread to represent, as he said, my body which is given for you. So through his body and sacrifice, we have been delivered from death. And so we partake of the unleavened bread. We don't change that. We take of the unleavened bread each first day of the week. Notice, secondly, what he said about the the drink element. He said in verse 29, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The fruit of the vine was a Jewish idiom for the juice of the grape. And so the fruit of the vine represents, as we saw and as we've seen in these verses here, Christ's blood of the New Testament. And so each week we partake of the unleavened bread, and we partake of the fruit of the vine. And we know that it's through his blood that we obtain forgiveness of sins. And as you study the Gospels, too, as you think about the Lord's Supper, and sometimes people have questions about this, notice that the emphasis was not on the container, but rather the contents that the container held and what they represent. And so each first day of the week, the elements, the elements don't change. And we don't have a right to change the elements. We partake of the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. And think about the order for a second. Each first day of the week, we partake in a, in a similar order. We partake of the unleavened bread first, and then we partake of the fruit of the vine. That's what we find all throughout the Gospels. We find them taking the bread, and then we find them uh, drinking the fruit of the vine. And as you think about this idea of variety, there's no variety even when you think about the, the verbiage. Uh, a given of thanks is made when you study the Gospels. And what's interesting here, look over in Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, we find the account here in Luke chapter 22 and verse number 17. In Luke chapter 22 and verse number 17, something that's interesting about this meal, we find Jesus in verse 17. Actually, let's start back in uh, verse number uh, verse number 14. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. We find a given of thanks that was made as they partook of the Lord's Supper. And this is what we follow as well. As we partake of the unleavened bread and as we partake of the fruit of the vine, we we give thanks to our Heavenly Father of the sacrifice of Jesus and what he has done. And so this language helps us to see or the language to use as we partake and as we pray to our Heavenly Father. Now, we don't call on God, and I think this is something important for us to think about as we pray and as we give thanks for the offering, that we don't call upon God to act on the bread or the fruit of the vine in some way to, to necessarily make the emblem special. It is what they represent that is special. The unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine represent the body and the blood of Jesus. Sometimes there's some confusion with this, that sometimes people think that the, the, the bread and, the, and the, the fruit of the vine literally become the body of Jesus. There's that idea out there, that idea of transubstination. And that is certainly not what the Bible teaches as we give thanks to God for the bread and for the fruit of the vine. And we know that because Jesus was in his body as he held the bread and as he um, passed around 
the drink uh, element, the fruit of the vine. And so uh, what we find when we look at Luke chapter 22 and other passages is that even as Jesus was with his apostles and as Paul rehearsed these events in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see that they gave thanks for the unleavened bread and for the fruit of the vine. Now, I'm, I'm sharing, sharing this with all of you to help you to see there are some interesting elements to the Lord's Supper, uh, whether it's a meal that can potentially condemn, uh, whether there's an unseen guest that is present, the fact that there's no variety when it comes to this meal. And there's one other thing that makes this meal truly special and distinct when you really think about it. This meal, we only eat a little bit of it each first day of the week. We only consume a little bit of this meal. Now, no one is going to go home full after eating the Lord's Supper. That's, never, that's not going to happen and because it's not designed to be that way. It was never designed to be a meal that fills us up with, with, with respect to our stomachs. But God is not concerned about us leaving here full physically. Rather, he's more concerned with our hearts being full and understanding the significance of the sacrifice of our Savior. And so as we eat and partake of the Lord's Supper, and I know we already have this week, but maybe this should cause us to go back and think about where our mind was as we partake of the Lord's Supper and the significance of it and the fact that we don't rush through any of this as we come together and as we worship our Heavenly Father. As we eat, our hearts should be full of reverence, should be full of love, and should be full of gratitude. Indeed, this meal is special. It is unique in nature. It was established by our Savior, Jesus Christ, and it is one that we continue to take each first day of the week. It's also a meal well, there's other things I'm sure that we could add to it that when you actually think about it, too, it's a little sad because we're thinking about the death of Jesus and what he endured and what he experienced for us. And while there can be sadness, there's also a sense of gladness and joy because while he died, he was buried and yet he rose again from the grave on the first day of the week. And so let us truly think about the special meal that we partake in each first day of the week. It's, like any, it's not like any other meal. It is something very unique. Jesus has purged us from our sins. We need to remember his great sacrifice and make sure that we don't go through the motions when it comes to the Lord's Supper or any other form of worship that we are engaged in. I hope this has been a help. I hope this has been beneficial for you. We're going to sing the song of invitation here in just a moment. You think about the blood of Jesus, Jesus back in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, when he instituted this, he said, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. If you're in need of forgiveness of sins, then you need the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can reach the blood of Jesus Christ if you're willing to submit to his will. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. And if you're willing to submit to what Jesus says to do, to receive his saving grace, to reach his blood that will cleanse you of all your past sins, then he will save you if you're willing to do that. The choice is yours. If you're subject to the invitation, come now as we stand and as we sing.